Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Alhamdulillahirrabbilalamin. Wassalatu wassalamu ala rasulil kareem wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in wa ba'd. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh everyone. Welcome back to the Ilm Feed podcast. I'm your host Shabir Hassan. Uh, alhamdulillah, I hope you're all doing well and keeping safe. Um, today we have a guest who, mashallah, is uh, what we call hitting his hat-trick on the, on the podcast because it's his third appearance uh, and, and that's exactly why he doesn't need any introduction, mashallah. Uh, it's our very own Ustad Asim Khan joining us this time uh, virtually. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi Sheikh. Wa alaikum assalam warahmatullahi And um, do I get extra bonus or three time hat trick? <laughs> you get the hat trick bonus points, mashallah. But how are you yeah, doing, Sheikh? You okay? Yeah, I'm very well. And uh, I really appreciate um, being given this opportunity to um, sit with you again and inshallah have an interesting and thoughtful conversation. Inshallah. Thank you for taking your time. I guess, um, you know, a couple of things that are different from the last, you know, the, the f- oh, first two times, I guess, that you joined us. I guess the first thing is you were with us. You know, we were together physically in the same space in the in the studio. Um, now, obviously, because of um, events over the past year or so, um, you know, we have to uh, connect remotely, um, virtually, in other words. And uh, yeah. the second difference is um, that, in terms of what we're going to be discussing, usually we kind of talk about the Quran a lot, right? Um, when we have discussions, and today it's not directly related to the Quran. Um, it's more going to be focused on the Sirah, uh, which is interesting because um, we haven't we haven't yet on the on the podcast that we've done here had like a, a proper conversation on the Sirah. So I think it's inshallah oh. a good opportunity to uh, to get into that. Of course, we've touched on like aspects of it. But uh, not like a, a dedicated, focused conversation on this era. So that should be interesting. Um, and before we started recording, I, 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 you know, I realized that uh, you recognize something in my on my bookshelf. Uh, yes, so for right. those of you that, those, th- there we go. I'm pointing at it right now. That's Mashallah Ustad Asim Khan's book, The Heart of the Quran, um, his commentary on Surah Yasin. Uh, and we we are going to speak about books as well today, right, Sheikh? And we're going to talk about some exciting new projects as well. Yes, definitely, inshallah. We've got a, got a super announcement to make at some point, inshallah. But you know what? The point you made in the beginning about how things are different now, right? So meeting virtually. And in many ways, there's lots of um, things we've had to lose out on, right? The company of each other being one of them and the brotherhood that comes with it. Um, but I don't know if you know this, but many, many years ago, I used to work as a pharmacy manager and it was part of quite a big like corporation. And, you know, every year they have this appraisal. So you sit down with the guy you know who's your line manager talk about what you're good at and talk about what you know what are the challenges i think it's a politically correct word that they use yeah. so basically he the my line manager gave me a piece of advice and um when he said it to me i was like you know that's pretty deep actually and during this whole lockdown and pandemic um uh time that we've been going through that has been ringing in my mind so basically what he said was ask him What's, what makes a successful business? What's the number one quality that makes a successful business? And I was like, is it this, is it that? And he's like, no, it's actually the ability to adapt. And I was like, okay, interesting. Mm-hmm. He goes, yeah, look, we're in a crowded marketplace um, and things are changing all the time and small changes, um, if you don't keep up with them, you get left behind very quickly as a cutthroat business so it goes that if we adapt continuously to the changes then we will be we will be successful and 
taking that out of the business mind and putting that into maybe a spiritual place, I think that looking at the Prophet ﷺ, for example, is a real manifestation of this. Like if you think about how his life began, when he's reaching the age of 40, which is usually like the comfort zone for many people, his world is turned upside down. He's made a prophet of Allah and a messenger to humanity. And people that loved him now hate him. And he's got the weight of the world on his shoulders. And he doesn't crumble. SubhanAllah, he adapts. And every day he had to adapt because things didn't stay the same. And from that day until the day he passes away, 23 years later, uh, were days of loss, of sorrow, of, of fighting, of dealing with abuse, um, of, you know, unbelievable things that happened during his life. So yeah. I really feel like this pandemic, um, though there's so much negativity when you think about it, yeah. also in a way, there's a, lot, there's a lot of positivity we can take from it, especially from that perspective of how do you adapt is probably how you will succeed. Mm. That's a really interesting point about uh, adaptability, actually. I think that's really the only way forward, I guess, because, you know, we, we, there's not, we don't really have much power to change things, you know, around us. Uh, it's, yeah. it's only really what, what's directly in front of us that we can. Um, uh, so, yeah, really interesting point. Um, I want to, I mean, since we're on the topic of Sira and, and we're going to be discussing that quite a bit today, um, what I wanted to start off with is just kind of putting you on the spot and asking you, um, like, what, what, uh, you know, story or part of the seerah for you personally, like, stands out the most. It's like one of your favorites, and I just wanted to start with that. And I know, I know, this probably is such a broad question, and there's so many things going through your mind. But what's like one that really stands out for you, even if it's like currently, particularly at this point in time? And let's just like discuss and reflect on that. Okay. So, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Obviously, the passing of the Prophet is one of the most emotional engaging aspects of the seerah and you could read it and reread it and every single time it gets you and every single time you learn something from it um but for me the most spectacular moments in the seerah are the moments where the person handles very sensitive um situations in a very delicate manner and we don't really see this i, I feel like a lot of people don't appreciate the cleverness of the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam so for me, one of the most fascinating parts of the seerah is where he is how he de dealt with uh, Abu Sufyan. Yeah, so Abu Sufyan, for the longest part, he was an arch enemy of the Prophet and the leader of the Quraysh, and um, he accepted Islam begrudgingly. So to cut a long story short, the Muslims made a treaty with the Quraysh that there'll be no fighting, there'll be peace, and uh, the Quraysh broke that treaty, Sulh Hudaybiyah. But between the time of peace until the time they broke it the tide changed uh, in favor of the Muslims and their numbers increased exponentially. So when the Quraysh broke it, they realized that they had made a big mistake. So Abu Sufyan, he gets on his camel and he goes to Medina, uh, almost like a beggar, to plead with the Prophet to um, you know, reenact the peace treaty. But the Prophet gives him the cold shoulder. And not only that, Abu Bakr gives him the cold shoulder and Umar al-Khattab definitely gives him the cold shoulder. <laughs> and even his daughter, gave him the cold shoulder, right? So then he goes back and he's like, we're in a world of trouble now. Everyone's turned me down, what do we do? So um, what happens is that eventually the Muslims arrive at Makkah uh, with, at the head of an army of 10,000, likes of which the Arabian Peninsula have ever seen before. And Abu Sufyan realizes, look, the time has come. But even then he's begrudgingly taken to the Prophet 
by Abbas, the uncle of the Prophet and in the tent, a conversation ensues, uh, whereby Umar al-Khattab is there, okay, ready to, you know, uh, inflict pain and punishment on Abu Sufyan for everything wrong he's done in his life. Uh, Abbas is there as a peace broker, and the Prophet is there uh, to see what does Abu, Abu Sufyan want to do. Does he want to accept Islam? Does he not want to accept Islam? And he's dithering, okay? So uh, what happens is that an argument breaks out and um, it's very volatile. And the person, what he says is, come back to me tomorrow, okay? So they have the night to cool down. And then the next day, Abu Sufyan comes with, uh, with Abbas and he's still um, dithering. And so the person comes up to him and he strikes him on his chest and he says, what's the matter with you? Hasn't the time come now for you to accept your fate? And then Abu Sufyan, he says half of the kalima. He says, la ilaha illallah. Okay, as if to say, oh, I can't really say the second half of this, that you are the messenger of Allah. And at that point, Abbas turns against him and says, listen, this is the final straw. Don't lose your chance. And then he says, okay, well, Rasulullah, right? And so he's become Muslim under, you know, under almost under compulsion, if you think about it. Um, but then the person does something which is ingenious, right? So here's Abu Sufyan, a leader of the Quraysh. He's going to go back to his people and he's basically going to have to deal with humiliation. Like, you are our leader. You went there. You became a Muslim? Like, what did you just do? So the person recognizing that Abu Sufyan is a man who enjoys prestige and leadership, he factors that into his advice and says, listen, okay, you're going to go back to your people, but when you go back to them, you can tell them that whoever goes to your house and stands outside your house will be safe. They'll be under your protection. You'll be given the honor of people being able to seek shelter in your home and in your company. And so Abu Sufyan, he goes away, but with still an element of leadership given to him by the Prophet except that now it's under the banner of Islam. Mm -hmm. Small things like that uh, really get to me because it shows how the Prophet you know, he has so many qualities, wisdom and knowledge and the ability to read the room, the ability to, uh, you know, judge people based on their life experiences and then to manifest that in, in a behavior and a, in a piece of advice, et cetera, et cetera. So for me, that's the one of those parts that I really say, I'm like, wow, like, subhanAllah. And there's lots of details I've missed out as well, but it's just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah that, that is actually an amazing part when you think about it. Uh, for me, you know, mm. I was actually I was actually had a class the other day that I was teaching, and um, like the the part that you're mentioning is more like towards the end of the seerah, right? So yeah. the one that stands out for me is, and I think maybe it's because I just I was just reading it again the other day, is actually more towards the beginning. In fact, you could argue it was whilst everything was like happening in Mecca, whilst the Muslims were really you know small in number, it, it's the journey of this one particular man, this one particular companion, Salman al-Fadisi. Oh. And just, you know, like just reading his story, like he went from one part of the land to another part of the land, seeking the truth, his quest for knowledge. Um, and then after all that, like years and years go by and now he's been enslaved. Right. And he went from like one religion to another religion, especially. And he had to leave his own family behind the sacrifice that he made. And then he ends up in, you know, what has been described to him. Um, by one of the priests, if you want to call it, you know, you go to this land, and there's going to be lots of yeah. date palm trees there, and so on. It's between volcanic rocks, and it's, you know, he's describing Medina, right? But at that yeah. time, he didn't know. And you know, Subhanallah, it's just like 
after all that sacrifice he made, he was so close, but then, you know, he gets enslaved. But Allah still takes him to that land, right? The, the, the land of the Arabs. And, um, you know, and then it's just, it's just amazing how the story, um, or his story, and then meanwhile, the, the Muslims migrating to Medina and arriving, and him hearing the news that, oh, there's this messenger that's arrived right in this land and he gets taken to medina and then he finally meets the prophet and then confirms his identity for me it's like every time i read that story it gives me goosebumps because you know mm -hmm. like it took him years to find the truth and he was really like sincere and as like a student of knowledge i, I can relate to that a lot because i think for me it's like look how much sacrifice he made just to seek knowledge essentially that's what he was trying to do right he's trying to find yeah. the truth and, you know, he went from one part of the world to another part of the world under so much difficulty. And then today, you know, we have, we have, you can go online and study courses. You can walk outside and you've got mas masajid, right? Um, yeah. We just take it for granted. Like, yeah, it's easy. And even then we complain, oh, it's bad Wi-Fi connection. You know, I'm, I'm feeling bored now. <laughs> it's not entertaining. Yeah. Yeah, you know no, what I mean? Yeah. But you know, so, they, they, what they, they say that what makes a great story is actually the weaving together of many different narratives. So, you know, if you look at the top trending Netflix dramas or something like that, you'll find that, you know, the ones that really get like the black blockbuster type of viewership are the, are the films or the dramas that have lots of characters' lives, stories interweaved together. And then each one story is uh, fascinating in and of itself. And then when they all come together, it's like mind-blowing, right? And that's yeah. a, that's one of the reasons why the seerah is so spectacular. You've got the life and the journey of the Prophet but then all of his companions, and each one of them has their own story, and then his wives, and they all have their own stories, and the story of the ummah as well as a community, you know. And that's one of the reasons why the seerah is, in a way, a one of the greatest, if not the greatest, story that anybody anybody could read about because of the detail that we have about all the different. I'll use the word characters, but you know these are these are our heroes um, mm. in inside the story. Yeah, you know, um, like you mentioned, the story that you mentioned more, I guess, focuses on like one of the leadership skills of the process and right leadership qualities. And um, yeah, you know, I think like that's another really important and really interesting aspect of the series. It's quite fascinating that you can kind of like look at the seerah with a different lens and each time you can pick up something new. Um, so again, like just from the leadership perspective, um, if you're a community leader, whatever it may be, you yeah. can learn, just look at the seerah and identify all the times of the process. I'm like Hudaybiyah or before and after, right? In Mecca, Medina, um, where he displayed, you know, bravery, courage, leadership, right? Authority, etc. And then like, you can do that with pretty much everything. So like one thing that I was looking at again recently is, um, you know, just the marriage of the process and the way that he was as a family man, um, and you know, as a husband, as a father, the way he was with his wives at home and all the reports, narrations of Aisha Radhanha, Um Salama Radhanha. And you know, you learn so much just from that perspective. <clears throat> I actually went yeah. to um, a bookstore a few months ago and I just found a random book in Arabic. It's, it's something like, um, you know, Hayatun Nabi Sallallahu Zawjan. It's just a book okay. on him as a husband. I don't know who the author is. It's just a really random book. But I was like, oh, that's really interesting. Like a whole book of him just as a husband. Um, yeah. I think, don't you think that's another really interesting aspect of the theater? Just like pinpointing one area aspect and looking at it like that. 100%. I mean, the Prophet he's for, first and foremost the messenger of Allah. So he's got this capacity of being the spiritual leader of humanity. But also he's a father. Also he's um, a husband. Also he's 
uh, a counselor also he's you know a friend also he's and and the list goes on and on top of that he's the greatest example of that person mm-hmm. in that capacity so um you know it's just and that's why the allah says uswatun hasana that you have in the uh, you know in the messenger of allah the uswatun hasana the most uh, perfect example yeah mm-hmm. um there's lots of ways of translating that but the word uswa itself is the object of imitation so mm-hmm. allah subhanahu is saying that in the in the prophet we have somebody who you should imitate and if you did you'd be imitating the best version of that thing and wow. and that's why you you can see the problem as a father and then aspire to his goals and become the greatest father in your own life <clears throat> uh, and the same as as, as a counselor as the same as a friend etc etc um so for example like in business uh, we don't yeah. really see the problem as a businessman um but you may you're probably aware of this but in 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 medina Munawara, i think if you're facing um, you're facing towards the Qibla outside the masjid on the right hand side there's a marketplace which mm-hmm. until I think two years ago was still there called Suq al-Manakha so this is one of the marketplaces established by the Prophet when he first arrived at Medina and the story goes that he uh, he saw that m- most of the marketplaces were dominated by the Jewish communities and they practiced interest uh, as well as other things which uh, the Prophet you know, didn't look uh, um, very favorably some of the practices were like cheating or defrauding, etc., etc. And then he came to this one marketplace known as Suq al-Manakha, and he said, this will be your marketplace. And he said, whoever sets up shop here will not have to pay any tax, right? And just think about how amazing that is. When you think about Dubai, for example, how people flock to Dubai to sell business because and to work because they don't have to pay any tax, right? And Dubai then becomes this amazing place in the middle of the desert that everyone wants to go to. And he's like, what's the secret of the bay? No tax. I'm like, okay, the process of <laughs> many, many years ago. And Suq al-Manakha became the marketplace that overpowered and dominated all the other marketplaces in Medina. Uh, and it's still, apparently they said that um, in Saudi Arabia, they have this decree that, it will, that that marketplace will not be removed or destroyed or replaced by anything else. But yeah. when I went last year, there was some there was some renovation work. I'm not sure whether they're still going to establish the, the marketplace after that. But yeah, inshallah, we'll come back and you can go and see it yourself. Inshallah, yeah, that's really, super interesting actually. Uh, you know uh, something that we mentioned um, uh, at the beginning. I think I said like this podcast isn't directly related to the Quran, right? Uh, it's it's funny because like anytime you go through the seerah, like I always ask my students, so what's like the first source for seerah? Yeah, they're like, I don't know, is it Sahil Bukhari? Is it like, yeah. you know, yeah. is it Tariq Tabari? Is it Ibn Hisham? I'm like, actually, no, it's the Quran. Like, the Quran is filled with the seerah. Because when you, I guess the yeah. beauty of the the, uh, the Quran is that when you, you can view it from the lens of the seerah, because essentially every revelation that was sent down was during the lifetime of the Prophet, whether yeah. he was in Mecca, whether he was in Medina. And, you know, many of the verses are, in fact, like direct. Um, you know, like responses to certain certain incidents, right? Like, you know, Surah, for example, Abasa, right? What happened with yeah. Abdullah ibn Umm Maktoum? And then that's in like Mecca, right? And then you've got Medina after Badr and Uhud, all of these verses being revealed, Surah Ali Imran, etc., etc. Um, again, that's that's pretty amazing, right? Like when you look at the Quran that way, from the from the Sirah point of view, you yeah. can actually pick up a lot. So in fact, yeah, we, we would say that the first source of Sirah, like, Pretty, you know everything is you start from the Quran and then you go to 
all the yeah, hadiths and, and reports. I mean, the Quran. Um, by the way, a lot of people are unaware of this point that you just made that the prior, one of the primary sources of Sirah is the Quran. But not only does the Quran uh, have a superior um, have a superiority over the other sources because it's the word of Allah, because of the accuracy and the precision and the preservation, but also because the Quran can give you a perspective that nobody else can. The reason being is because Allah Subhanahu wa Taala can see into the minds and the hearts of the people that were going through those tribulations and then relate them to us. So right now what you're thinking and what I'm thinking is unknown to anyone. So no one could sit here and write about our podcast and communicate the thoughts that were in our mind. But when you open the Quran, you find, for example, Surah Al-Ahzab, the, you know, the battle of the trench where the Muslims were besieged. And Allah says, That your hearts leapt into your throats. That is the level of fear that you are feeling. And you started to have Weird thoughts. Allah says, That you had thoughts about Allah which were not really befitting. You know, you're like, I could never have known that except that Allah told me. And so, yeah, the Quran being a source of seerah is actually is actually second to none, except except that it's not laid out chronologically and, and you know, and in chapters and things like that. But um, for sure, someone who wants to learn seerah uh, needs to, you know, focus on the Quran and see what like some surahs are known like you know surah uh, al-anfal you'll find a lot of narration about the battle of badr surah al-imran we'll find a lot to do with uhud ahzab obviously to do with the battle of ahzab um but there's there's many there's many other surahs that capture uh, elements and insights of the seerah yeah it's uh, that's the thing about the quran i think um also the fact that it's timeless so you may think okay it's a response to the Muslims at Uhud. So therefore, it's maybe just like specific to them, I guess, you know, like it doesn't, I can't really relate to that because I didn't partake in, in Uhud, right? Um, but I think yeah. that's something that's beautiful about the Quran is actually when you look at the, word, the, the way that it's been phrased, it's actually like you can find yourselves in similar situations. Okay, it's not the same as Uhud. But, you know, when you're facing defeat, for example, you know, when you're dealing with loss, for example, like, you know, one that stands out is um, those 10 verses from Surah An-Nur, for example, that were revealed mm. in response to the whole uh, slander made against Aisha. I think that's such yeah. a powerful one because it's not saying specifically this is only to do with Aisha. It doesn't mention her name or Abu Bakr's name, right? It's, it's general kind of like really, I would say, strong um, uh, advice given to the Muslims about things like slander watching your tongue right yeah. and then you apply that to like the digital age for example completely different time but actually it's like it's you can learn the same thing where allah is saying things like you know why didn't you you know you thought it was such an insignificant thing yeah. it's actually a really yeah. severe great thing that you've done do you apply yeah. that to today and you're like okay you know i should be careful before i type before i send this yeah. message before i slander so uh, don't you think that's another amazing aspect of it? No, I, 100%. And, you know, this reading the seerah from that lens of learning uh, life lessons is a very powerful approach to take, especially um, when you're reading about the life of the person who came to teach you how to live your life. They came to teach you how to deal with your own personal dilemmas. And, um, you know, going into seerah books, especially in the English language, you find that, Majority, um, so first of all, let me just preface this because in 2012, I embarked on a project known as the Prophetic Timeline. 
And the idea was to basically create a resource a website and thereafter an app, which uh, in essence was an interactive seerah of the Prophet where you click things and open up and all this kind of crazy stuff basically. And um, through the course of that journey, I had to read basically every single English resource on the seerah out there at that time. Obviously a lot of time has passed since then, but I got accustomed to reading English works in seerah. One of the things I quickly realized is that most seerah books do not talk about the lessons that you learn from what happened. It's just about what happened. And you're like, okay, that's amazing, but what do I take from that on a personal level? But then there are other books that do go into what lessons you learn. But then I found that those books are like encyclopedic. There's so much to read. It's intimidating. It's like three volume book, two volume book. And unless you're like someone who's got an appetite for reading, you're probably going to get a bit lost eh? or not even bother. So um, I think there needs to be a, a little bit of a revision as to, okay, why are we reading the seerah? Why are we studying the seerah? What is the whole objective behind it? Like, what do I want to take away from it? Because um, other, otherwise it would just be a story that we grow up learning and nothing more than that, which is would be a terrible loss yeah, yeah, that's the thing. I think you're right in terms of like resources. I think that's a huge one. So there's there's two things here. The first thing I think is um, what you mentioned about lessons, um, which is a huge aspect of Sira. Like you said, it can just become like bedtime stories. Oh, it's amazing that you know the story of the elephant or whatever it might be. Right? Oh, wow, you know elephants yeah. came, they were destroyed, and that's that's kind of it. And we're just like, yeah, that that happened once upon a time. And but you never actually think about okay, but what's the What's the significance behind that event? And it's interesting, actually, I think it was yourself, Sheikh, actually, that you tweeted um, recently about, um, you know, Amul Huzn, you know, the year of sorrow, oh, and kind of yeah. like comparing it to like the year that we've been through, right? Um, so stuff like that, I think we're not doing enough when it comes to the CRI, especially, where, okay, we read a book, we listen to a lecture, but we don't actually go back and think, relate it to our time, relate it to... Yeah our struggles so uh, how you know uh, first question before we move on to like resources is how could we do that you know let's say someone's self-learning right yeah how what's what's a good way of reflecting i mean reflecting over quran is one thing reflecting over seerah how would you say is, is a good way to go about it i think um it's all about mindset so if you read the seerah even whether it's a very detailed one whether it's a simple one read it with the mindset of uh this is designed to teach me something and it's going to teach me something which is uh, a beneficial and something which is going to empower me. And when you now read, whatever you're going to read that chapter, it will automatically start to not, I wouldn't say read into it things, but you can see actually there's something that I could take away from that that could relate to my life. It's just because you're reading it from a different perspective. I'll give an example. So we all know the story where the, where the revelation began. The Prophet is in that cave, or Hira. He's by himself, it's nighttime, he senses the presence of another person. He doesn't know who it is. It turns out to be Jibreel alayhi salam. And the Jibreel alayhi salam, you know, uh, he, he shocks the Prophet by commanding him to do something. And then when he can't do it, he, uh, you know, the Prophet said that he he hugged me, embraced me so tight. Uh, it, I reached the end of my endurance, which means I was going to pass out basically. And when I, whenever I think of that, I always think about, you know, on Eid Day, when you have the uncle that hugs you too tight, and you're like, you oh, know, I'm not 10 years old anymore, uncle, but yeah. you know, it's like. So then I, I think to myself, okay, so that happened once, and then 
you know, to be honest, and so Iqra, read again. And for some, man, Biqari, I'm not of those that I can read. Again, he holds him. And you know, who is Jibreel, alayhi salam? Like, mm-hmm. seriously, Allah says about him that he is has immense power. He's the one who, with the tip of his wing, destroyed the nation of Lut. Like, who are we talking about here? So he grabs him again, releases him again, and a third time. And you think to yourself, why? Why put the first time through pain? Why do that to him? Why, uh, you know, send him into a shock? Because when he left the cave, he his heart was pounding and he went to his wife, you know, cover me, cover me. We all not. But let's pause. Think about this. Okay, maybe that the Prophet was being uh, put through a, a little bit of pain and difficulty to give him an insight into what the future is going to be like. From now on in, things are going to be difficult. They are not going to be easy. Maybe the Prophet was also being shown that, look, if you want to thrive, you need to toughen up. If you mm. want to be someone great, you've got to know how to deal with hardship. And you're like, okay, so now let me look at myself. Maybe as a father, I've got children. Shouldn't I be teaching them to be a bit more robust, to be a bit more, uh, you know, thick-skinned, to be a bit more, uh, you know, averse to difficulty and hardship, as opposed to, you know, making life easy for them, soft and cozy, and, you know, because that has its problems, okay? So now you're learning from the Prophet how to be a better father when you're just reading about how you receive revelation. Do you see? And and the thing is, there's no right and wrong here. As long as what you read is accurate and you understood it according to the plain sense of the meaning, subhanAllah, there's so much you can take away from it. And who am I to say, no, that's wrong? Who are you to say, no, that's wrong? That's not a correct uh, reflection. As long as you're not going around and telling people, this is what we learn, it's a personal thing. Alhamdulillah. And now reading the seerah, it just takes on another level. You're like, mm. actually, hang on, hang on a minute. What do we learn from this now? What do we learn from that now? And uh, subhanAllah, you know, Ajib, how much he can take now. Yeah, exactly. That's that's the thing. I think it's that personal aspect, you know, your personal reflections. I think that's something that, um, you know, you, you relate to more than others. It might be, for example, um, something like forgiveness, for example, like Prophet he goes to Ta'if. We all know that incident. What happened? He yeah. went to Ta'if and the way that he came out, you know, he was like humiliated. He was sad. He was covered with blood, but he still, he didn't, he didn't take revenge on those people. But in fact, like you fast forward almost like a decade later, he's marching with the Muslims, larger number after the conquest of Mecca, going towards that same land. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And subhanAllah, we know, we know what happens after that. Um, or even if it's like, you know, uh, in Medina, you have, uh, villains in the story, right? If you want to call them villains, like uh, Ibn Salul, Abdullah bin Ubay Ibn Salul, like, you know, the the, the leader of the hypocrites. Yeah. Um, and everything that he puts the process of, like the slander of Aisha that we mentioned, he was like the guy that started it all off. But when he yeah. passes away, the process actually shows him respect and wants to actually, he, he wants to even pray for him um, and, and, and seek his forgiveness, even though verses were revealed after that. Um, but all of that, I think, you know, from a personal level, you could turn around and say, well, actually, you know, like I've been holding on to this one thing against like a family member for quite some time. And when yeah. I think about the seerah, that's actually really petty. And I could just forego that and just forgive and just build a relationship with them again. Um, yeah. and, and, and and that's your personal reflection. You, you see what I mean? So Yeah, no. You yeah. see, what you just did there is because you've read the entirety of the seerah, you can connect the dots. And you can compare, like, in the beginning, he he 
you know, he didn't take revenge over the people of Taif, but then a few years later, he's he's waging a military campaign against the people of Taif. It's like, how do we reconcile that? Yeah, so the thing is, a lot of us, we may know glimpses of the seerah, but we haven't read the whole seerah. And that's where we're, we're, we're not doing ourselves justice. Yeah. Because when you've got the whole picture, and okay, now you're in a, in a better place to analyze the life of the Prophet and to uh, take guidance in a more holistic way. So, mm-hmm. for, for, for example, like uh, during the Battle of Badr, you know, uh, the Prophet he chose to not to execute the prisoners of war, but to ransom them, right? And so we find that there's a verse in the Quran where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, said that that wasn't right. He shouldn't have done that. And you're like, Rahmatulin is the mercy to mankind. And Allah is saying, no, you shouldn't have ransomed them. You should have kept going from option one. And by the way, option one was the option of Umar bin Khattab, yeah. by the way. Yes, not that of Abu Bakr. So you're like, hmm, that's interesting. But then later on, Fatul uh, Makkah, okay, the person is coming to Makkah, all the people that you know, tortured his followers, tried to assassinate him, kicked him out of his land. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants him to forgive them and he forgives them. And he says, I'll say to you what my brother Yusuf said to his brothers. La there will be no blame on you today. And you're thinking, okay, so how do we square this up? So in the beginning it was, no, kill them. And in the end it's like, no, forgive them. Ah, it's because it's not actually about what you're going to gain out of the circumstance. It's what Islam stands to gain. So at Badr, if you ransom them, Muslims are in a position of weakness. People will perceive Islam to be weak, incapable of enacting justice. Now at the, at the Fatul Makkah, conquest of Makkah, Muslims are strong. Everyone knows they're a superpower. Now if they forgive, that adds to their power and their prestige. So Islam stands to gain from your act of forgiveness there. But those kind of dots, you can't connect them unless you read the whole sirah. Yeah, exactly. I think that's what yeah. people need to do. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think so. Reading the whole series, I think that's really important. I guess the coming back to what we're talking about resources, right? Um, what one could argue that okay, fine. Like I, I get that I should be reading the whole sirah. I know that's important, but for me, it's like you know, like you said, yeah. You know, I, I, I don't want to open up a book which is like two, three volumes long. I, yeah. I can't read it, so I can't access the classical text. Okay, whatever's available in English, it's like. Either it's written in like really old English or even the more modern ones. I don't know. Like I just can't, I can't relate to it. Um, yeah. So, so is, I mean, what's the, what do we, what do we answer to that? Like, do we just say, okay, just study under a sheikh or something like that. Study, just study under a teacher. They might say, I don't have time. Let me just do it in my own time. I listen to like a, a podcast on this here. I listen, uh, read some books. So what's the, what's the solution to this? I mean, um, it's, it's a tough question. I remember in the beginning reading Sira, I started off with the sealed nectar. I don't know about you. Yeah. And I was told like this is the book for Sira, so you need to read it. <laughs> yeah. So I started reading it. I was like, the first couple of chapters are about the lineage of the Arabs and about how they would marry women and divorce them. Mm-hmm. I was thinking, it's not about the process of them. And yeah. because people are saying this is the book, you need to read this book, I was like, okay, I'll plod along until I get to, you know, the, the interesting stuff basically, the stuff that I really want to know about the process of them. And alhamdulillah, I, I stayed motivated to get to that stage. But I thought to myself, yeah. looking back, like, seriously? What, yeah. Why was I learning about the, the lineage of the Arabs for? Why was I learning about, you know, how the, the Jahili Arabs would marry women and all the rest of it? Yeah. On an academic level, yeah, it's interesting. But 
on a just regular Muslim want to connect with the Prophet some level, it's an obstacle. That's actually putting me off. And so I thought, okay, maybe, you know, it's, it was, it's two academic books. So let me go to something shorter. Let me go to something more concise. So I've got a book here I'm going to read from you. I'm not going to tell you, obviously, who the author is. But it's, um, in total, this Sira book um, is just 100 pages long. So it's one of the shorter ones. And like most Sira books in English, uh, they're usually translations. Translations of Arabic books or translations of Urdu works or other languages. So um, let's 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 read, inshallah, yeah, something. So it also says, know that when the poisonous germs of polytheism crept in the system of the world and society became like a sick body, Allah through his mercy sent a reformer and a compassionate surgeon. Surgeon, you heard that, yeah? This person commenced treatment of every single organ, vein and fiber for 53 years continuously during the diseased organs. So, I mean, with all due respect, it's probably a bad translation, not yeah. a reflection of the author itself. But, you know, if you've been led to believe the hype about Sirah, and then you read that book, you're going to have questions in your mind, thinking, maybe I'm just a bad person, and I can't connect with the Sirah. But in reality, it's poor resources. Okay, now here's the real kicker. I've got a book here by Karen Armstrong, okay? And I had to read this book cover to cover when I was um, doing research for the Predict Timeline. And, you know, she's a non-Muslim. And obviously, in terms of accuracy, in terms of um, refer referring back to the classical Islamic sources, um, there's going to be some questions, right? Yeah. But when you read it, you're like, this is much more interesting. Yeah. Okay, so let's read a little bit of what she says. Okay, so... Um, this is around about the, the passing of the person. She says, When he returned to Medina after the farewell pilgrimage, Muhammad began to experience incapacitating headaches. Aisha remembered that one day she was lying in her apartment with a headache herself. Oh, my head, she moaned when Muhammad came in. Nay, Aisha, he replied. It is, oh, my head. But at this stage, he was still able to tease her gently. How would Aisha like to die before he did? It would give him the chance to take her into his arms at the graveside and give her a lovely funeral. Aisha replied with her usual asperity. After the funeral, he would go straight off to sleep with one of his other wives. Nay, Aisha, Muhammad said as he left the apartment. It is, oh, my head. Mm. So you're thinking, so I should read Sira from a non-Muslim? Yeah. Well, I can't do that. I don't know whether it's accurate or not. So herein lies the problem that we need to to fill the void basically we've got the resources i mean we've got the sources of sirah clearly laid out for us Ibn Ishaq, Ibn Hisham, and even recent works but we need to um write a version of the sirah that's easy to read engaging and basically highlight some of those key critical lessons that really impact a person and make them feel like i'm connected to the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Yeah, no, that's, uh, I'm glad you actually read like some real life examples. It's, it's much better than just saying like, yeah, this is this is what's available out there. But no, I, I, yeah. same, same struggles. Like, you know, the the way that you said, like the beginning of Seal Nectar, for example, great book, alhamdulillah. Yeah. Um, but like you said, like when I first started reading it, I was like, mm, I, I don't know if I'm, I don't know if Seal my thing. Like, you know, if it's going to talk about yeah. this kind of stuff, like genealogy and tribes and stuff like personally, 
I'm just not into that. Um, and then, you know, like when I'm teaching Sira now, like one thing I try and do, because, because I haven't found like one book that does it all. So what I do now is like if we're, for example, discussing one aspect, um, let's say it's Conquest of Mecca, I will take um, extracts from different books and then present okay. it to the students nice. and like read a bit. Right. So I guess that's that's made it easier. But that's that's for me as a teacher, um, where you know I have read it and I have studied under a teacher. I've I've been through that, and now you know because I've got access to these books. But of course, someone who's beginning Sira, like when I first started, I could never do that. I could never be like, okay, yeah. let me read ten books at the same time. So um, I guess that brings us on to um, a project that you yourself, mashallah, are involved with. Um, in terms of simplifying the seerah, which I think is uh, overdue, to be completely honest with you. Like, it's something that yeah. we, we need to be done. So tell us a bit about what the project is called, what what, what it's about, what the vision is, inshallah. Because I, I, I've got a feeling that a lot of our viewers and listeners, would this would interest them, for sure. Okay, so this, this the project is called The Simple Seerah. And as the title suggests, it's um, an ambition, um, which you've already begun, to write a version of the seerah which is easy to read engaging um factually accurate but also highlighting some of those key salient type of life lessons in particular we're going to write it with the younger audience in mind so um this idea actually didn't come from me it came from uh my friend and colleague torres mia uh, you know torres right so this was yeah. actually his idea when he pitched it to me i was like are you sure there's not a book out there already like that and he's like i don't think so i was like hang on a minute, you're right. There isn't actually anything on that level. Now, the thing is, you're thinking, yeah, it's a small market, you know, young Muslims, all right, fair enough. So the young Muslims read the seerah and they're like, I love the process of because of this book. That's amazing. But I realized that if you write a book that younger people like to read, everyone's going to read it. Non-Muslims are going to read it. The old, older generation is going to read it because it's just, you know, people, unfortunately, the reading habits, let's just say, yeah. like that, have changed dramatically. Yeah. All right. So um, immediately I thought to myself, if we do this project, the simple seerah, right, a version of the seerah, which is easy to read, engaging, um, you know, fun, highlighting those amazing lessons from the Prophet, inshallah, it will potentially change people's lives. Because I remember when I finished reading the seerah for the very first time, I was, subhanAllah, in tears. And I just was like, after being moved, I felt frustrated and almost angry, like, why am I reading about the Seerah of the Prophet um, after so many years? Like, mm. how, why is it taking this long for? Why? It was like a hidden gem that should have been inside my heart, but for some reason it was on a bookshelf all these years and I had no idea. And it's only since that time until now that Seerah, reading Seerah has become like, you know, one of the most beautiful experiences and something that you can do uh, over and over again. So that's what we want to do. And then I think, inshallah, to make it even easier for people to access it, we want to, inshallah, make it into an audio book. And I know a lot of people are big fans of audio book. And so the way we are writing this is, inshallah, in a way that will lend itself to uh, to make a very engaging audio book. So basically, you've got no excuse. <laughs> you either read it or you listen to it, inshallah. I think the title itself just, uh, you know, it, it suggests how simple you know the simple sira right it, 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 it's not even a complicated title it literally does what it yeah. says so i think yeah like you said um it's interesting that it hasn't yet been done um and that's why i said it's overdue now because 
um, you know, something with the younger audience in mind, um, with the lessons, with the authenticity, with the simplicity as well, you know, digestible. I think that is definitely what's missing. So um, no, I think that's that's super exciting. So how's it going to work then? Is it because I mean, like like we said, right? Sira's lot lots of content. Um, is it yeah. going to be one whole book, or is it going to be split into different books? How how is that side going to work? So we're going to probably do two volumes, um, the Meccan era and then the Medina era, the Meccan part and then the Medinan part. Yeah. Um, the real challenge is obviously not, you know, being factually accurate because Alhamdulillah, we've got lots of resources that lay out exactly what happened or the differences of opinion, dates and the names and everything else. The real challenge is actually the style in which it's supposed to be written. Okay. So I'll let you into a little secret. It's not going to be a secret anymore. Um, I'm actually reading the Harry Potter series with the express view of seeing how we can stylistically make the Sira an unbelievably engaging read. And I'll okay. be honest, I hate reading Harry Potter, <laughs> honestly. And I'm thinking to myself, the only thing I can see this in terms of benefit is just to see how the author gets you to imagine what happened. Yeah, okay, it. and I think that is the trick. If you can stylistically learn how to allow people to imagine um, what took place, now the Sira is going to be unforgettable. Uh, you've probably seen the message, right? I don't know if you saw the film, the message. Yeah, yeah. Most people our age have, right? And I don't know if you have that thing where you read something in the Sira and you're like, I can, I can see that yeah. happening because uh, it's that part of the film, basically, isn't it? Like yeah. when they come to the cave, when the person and Abu are hiding inside the cave and, you know, they... They, they lean over to look inside. That image is just etched in your mind mm. because of that film, right? So I'm, I'm trying to, and we've, I've written the first chapter already. Um, and um, it's one of the scenes that we um, try to depict as clearly as possible is the, um, you know, the story of Abraha when he came with his army, the elephant army and the elephant warriors to try to destroy the Kaaba. And usually it's like a passing type of, part of the Sira, you know, just, okay, they came, they got destroyed and move on. That's when the person was born. But if you think about it, that is a great scene to think and imagine what the ground yeah. would have sh uh, shook like, you know, what the armies, how they would have fled, how the birds, you know, came and then threw down all of those stones and how people broke out in plague and some people were like, it's almost like a movie yeah. type of thing, right? Yeah, yeah. So it's just about, okay, these are the details. We know this happened, but let's try to read at how it possibly would have unfolded. Okay, with all that language and the style. And now you're like, yeah, I can see it now happening. And if mm -hmm. that happens so throughout the whole Sira, then inshallah we'll have a very, very nice book on our hands. Inshallah. That's yeah, it's it's interesting because like you said, the the I guess the most successful books nowadays are the ones that most of them are being adapted into into films and movies, right? In Hollywood, um, yeah. and uh, I guess it, it it comes down to the author themselves, right? Credit to the authors because if they had yeah. not written in such descriptive language and you know opened the doors to your imagination in that way, then there's no way you could have turned it into a film. But that's a really difficult thing to do, right? Um, so I think to do that with the seer, obviously, of course, not not because we want to turn it into a, a movie, but really <laughs> yeah. for you for you yourself to you know be able yeah. to imagine and connect with that i think that's the that's the that's the correct word you know to we, connect yeah. we have to we, we have to be careful it's uncharted territory and um the idea is to 
you know, bring people one step closer to the Prophet with all of his glory and his honor and his sharaf and everything else. Uh, not to take that away, of of course. So it's 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 going to take a lot of oversight from other scholars and you know people of knowledge to say actually, yeah, even though that's very different, we can run with that, inshallah. And there's nothing wrong with that. And in fact, that's a that's an asset to the body of work we have on the seerah. So inshallah, with your support and du'as, you know, we hope to get there very very soon. Inshallah. So I mean, this is this is something that. I would you know, love to be involved with somehow. And I know there is, inshallah, an opportunity for um, for everyone to, to be involved, whether it's to to pre-order it, right? Um, that's one thing. Or whether it's actually support it, because I'm, I can only imagine uh, the the time and the effort, the resources yeah. the, the, that that takes into actually not just, we're not talking about the the final product, the publishing of the book, but even the the, the actual, the entire process, right? Going into it um to, to make something happen that really like you said hasn't been done before so of course time efforts you know uh, resources fin- financially there's a lot going into this right um so yeah. how can we inshallah be able to support this so that we can kind of like speed up the process get this out you know not, not that it's gonna inshallah like take the quality but speed it up in terms of because ultimately yeah. it does come down to let's be real the world that we're living in it does come down to things like finances right in, in the world that we're in so how, how can we support inshallah and get this done okay so you're right it is going to cost a lot especially if you want to do it professionally and what we want to do is not just write it but we want to have some illustrations and some pictures and some diagrams whatever we can just to elevate it as much as possible and you know how people are when it comes to pictures and diagrams and books you know that's where yeah. the eyes tend to go to first right and then the text afterwards so we we want to do everything on a very professional level and also we want to produce a set of the of the book of the book copies of the book rather to go into all the islamic schools you know up and down the country uh, and maybe then into europe and across the world inshallah who knows right we've got ambitions to do that so we, we we've set the um, we've set the t- targets okay and we've started the journey already like i said one of the chapters already been written but the way everyone can get involved is actually just by pre-ordering their copy i'm pretty sure when you see it hit the market you're going to want to get it anyway but if you were to pre-order it now, not only would you get it in the beginning, but also you'd be directly supporting the production of that of that work. So it'll be like a, a sadaqah jariya. You know, you get your book, but at the same time, you support the work. So whoever else it goes on to touch and benefit, inshallah, they get a share of that as well. So I think the website, the, the link is launchgood.com forward slash sira. You can go there and I believe they can pre-order the copy uh, as well, inshallah. Excellent. Launchgood.com forward slash Sira. So that's really exciting, inshallah. Yeah. Um, I'm personally really pumped to to to, to have a look uh, um, and and get this going, inshallah. So yeah, I mean, this is, I guess, um, you know, for 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 everyone listening, um, you know, please do get involved. It's an amazing opportunity. Um, and involved meaning like you get your copyright so you're essentially ordering it from now and uh, helping the process throughout so uh, we'll, we'll of course share the link as well so that everyone can access that as easily as possible um and yeah i think it's it's, it's a super exciting project Sheikh, and um you know it, i'm sure um for you yourself are really excited about it um you mentioned like two volumes most likely makka medina uh, yeah. which yeah, you know, I think that's a that's a really good way of studying this era as well. Because you know something you mentioned earlier on about um, not not reading, the, you know, only having glimpses of the sirah, not the whole picture. And I think um, 
when you look at it from like the Meccan era um, versus the Medinan era, and then you kind of compare and contrast like what the situation of the Muslims was, yeah. even in terms of like, you know, the expectations of them, you know, the, the rulings, for example, like you don't really see much salah, zakat, fasting in Mecca, but fast yeah. forward to Medina, it's like, you know, five daily prayers, Jumu'ah, you know, you've got zakat now, you've got, you know, siyam now, you've got this and that. There's all these like, you know, things have changed. Yeah. What, what has changed, I guess, is the development of the community, even in terms of establishing themselves in their own faith and iman. Like they've had time to prepare. I think when you kind of look at the seerah that way, um, uh, I th for me personally, I've benefited a lot doing it like that. So is yeah. that kind of what you had in mind with the reason why you're doing this Mecca, Medina, splitting it into two? Yeah, I mean, uh, one of the reasons is obviously to make it just a bit more easier to read. Um, yeah. Another reason is to help us to produce the book as well, so we can worry about the first volume yeah. and then the second volume later on. Uh, but also because of the stark contrast between the themes and the circumstances the Muslims face in Mecca versus the Bedina. Now, obviously, classically, a lot of Sira books were named Ghazawat, which means the military expeditions, and the focus was on the wars, right, and the battles, and you know the great fights and everything else that happened. And for most of us guys, that is the most exciting part of Sira to read. But the Makkan part then becomes overshadowed. We're like. Okay, let me move on to the Battle of Badr because that's like the real, you know, part of the seerah. In reality, no, in the Makkan era, there are so many things to learn. The Prophet in this part of his life, he he suffered a lot and to deal with a lot of loss, abuse, uh, hatred, jealousy, um, amongst many other things. And if you think about your own life, those are some of the struggles that you face as a human being on a daily basis as well. So here's the thing: when you learn about the Prophet, uh, the immediate impact is it increases you in your love for him. And then the effect of loving him more is that you want to learn about him more. Okay, so you fall into this amazing upward cycle of learning and loving, loving and learning, etc. etc. Um, and so the Makkan era, it does create that love in a special way. Because think about it, like when does a colleague become a friend? I was thinking about this the other day. When does a colleague, you know, like somebody say, oh, do you know that brother? Yeah, I know him. Oh, he's your friend. Yeah, he's like a colleague. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you ever said that, right? So it's like, when does a colleague become a friend? Well, it's probably when, uh, you know, you get to learn about him, about where he comes from, what he does, his personality, what makes him laugh, what makes him sad. And then when you get an insight into those aspects of this person, then they most probably cross the line and become a friend, right? Yeah. So, my point here is that for we love the Prophet, but when you learn about what made him laugh or made him cry and uh, what loss he experienced in his life and you know the achievements that he had, your that immediate impact is that your love for him will increase. You know, and that's that's probably one of the most um, powerful reasons to read the seerah of the Prophet. He really does connect you with him and, and give you that kind of uh, you know, he's my prophet. And when he becomes your prophet, you're down with his cause, okay? Because yeah. that's what his mission was. It was a cause. And I think for a lot of Muslims, we're Muslim and we see ourselves as the follower of the Prophet as followers of the Prophet but we don't see ourselves as being part of his cause. It was like he had his mission, his cause, and, you know, we're Muslims, but that connection isn't immediately there. We're not really down for the struggles 
of the Prophet um, even though those struggles are still here with us today. So yeah. the, the that does kind of wipe away that misconception. Mm. Yeah, that's interesting of looking at it. But no, I think um, yeah, one thing I would say is, yeah, you know, of course, we're really excited for the simple seerah and um, inshallah, you know, we're praying for it, inshallah, as that's, that's one thing we can do is, is make dua that, that Allah mm-hmm. grants barakah and uh, grants you mm-hmm. success in this endeavor, inshallah, and blesses it. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, But, I, I, you know, my personal advice would be like, okay, we're waiting for this amazing work, but in the meantime, that doesn't mean that we stop, right? You know, still, whatever we have at our disposal, there's, you know, we can't say there's not a lot out there still, right? There's still lots of literature, lots of lectures online, etc. But still, whatever you can, get get something, right? Um, and then... Yeah, I mean, you're, you're, you're 100% right. I mean, we're not, you know, this is not going to be the, the one and only type of work on the seerah. This, it can't be. I mean, it shouldn't be. Um, it will never be. But the fact is that we need to get people heading in that direction of connecting with the seerah of the process, and especially the younger generation, like, it's embarrassing. Like, they could name all the characters in Harry Potter. Even though I'm reading it, I still can't remember the characters. And they, they won't be able to run the names of 10 companions of the process. Seven. Like, where are we going? You know, that's that's an embarrassing type of situation we're finding ourselves in. Yeah. Um, so my advice is, look, when it comes to reading the Sirah, um, have a beginner, intermediate, and advanced level plan, basically. And, you know, you can start off with something which is a very short work like I recommend the um, Dr. Jonathan Brown's very small, I don't know if you've seen a concise um, version of the Sirah. I think it's by Oxford Press, I'm not sure. I don't um, know that. Yeah, it's got very small, very nice. And, you know, you read that and immediately you've got a very well-written, um, though not detailed, glimpse into the whole of the Sirah. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then you can move on to like a, a one-volume work. Um, there's so many out there to choose from. Um, and then you can move on to like, you know, the two volume and three volume ones. And with that kind of plan, you can ease your way into becoming um, a solid type of student of the Sira. Mm, definitely. I think that's a good action plan to end with, mashallah. Um, but yeah, thank you so much, Sheikh. Uh, you know, well, I, yeah. to honest, I, I've really, really uh, uh, enjoyed just like just sitting here and just reflecting over some parts of the seal. Like I just love doing that. And inshallah, uh, the more that we can uh, read into it and learn, because, you know, as, as you know, it's one of those things that you have to keep reading and there's so much detail, so many lessons there. Um, so yeah, you know, may Allah bless you. Thank you. Uh, you know, likewise, I'm missing, I'm missing the, the company of, of people like yourselves. We can't, we can't, you know, meet each other, but uh, Ooh, inshallah, inshallah. You yeah, know, I had the vaccine, so obviously you can hear me crisp and reception is good, so that's one of the benefits. <laughs> that's a good sign then, that's a good sign. <laughs> Alhamdulillah. But yeah, thank you, Sheikh. And uh, once again, a reminder, the link is launchgood.com forward slash Sira. So please do support the project. Uh, from myself, Shabir, from uh, Ustad Asim Khan, that's all we have time for. But uh, inshallah, we'll see you again very, very soon. Take care of yourselves and we'll see you next time. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Jazakum Allah khairan.